Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus interview episode of Directors Club. I'm Jim Laskowski. First up, I speak with filmmaker Louis Dant, a Belgian director, about his new film, Close, which tells the story of a friendship between two boys in their early teens, one of which has to deal with unexpected tragedy. Lucas had a lot of reasons to tell this personal story, which he shares candidly. As a young queer boy, at a certain point in puberty, I felt that the intimacy I shared with other boys was looked at through the lens of sexuality, and I started to fear it. Later on, guest co-host Bill Ackerman talks with acclaimed French filmmaker Mia Hansen-Lowe about her latest film, One Fine Morning, another story about grappling with change, but while dealing with an aging parent and learning to fall in love again. What helps us cope with the difficulties and the tragedies of life and the cruelty of life is the fact that life keeps moving on and that it's it's always a movement all of this and more coming up on directors club after winning no less than four awards at Cannes in 2018 with his debut feature curl the belgian director lucas dant comes back this year with close a story of friendship between two 13 year old boys which is primed to be nominated for best international feature and it's a film that won the grand prix at Cannes this past may It's an intimate story about Leo and Remy, who are closer than close, with a connection that slowly turns sour once they're bullied by homophobic classmates. It then becomes more about how someone that is young and still learning about who they are can continuously struggle with internal feelings and external forces out of their control. It's sad, perceptive, and compassionate portraying a different kind of friendship that we rarely see in film. And Lucas was kind enough to take some time out of his busy schedule to talk with me about Close, which you are about to hear. And I'm very grateful to have talked with him about this special story that I encourage you all to seek out. It opens on February 3rd at the Music Box Theater here in Chicago. Now here is my conversation with Lucas Dant. Be not so nervous Be not so frail Someone watches you You will not fail Be not so nervous Be not so frail Be not so nervous Hi! How we doing today, Lucas? How are you? I'm good, how are you? Excellent! I'm really thrilled to talk to you uh, about Close today and this definitely feels like a film that is close to you <laughs> personally but i i read that you know the starting point was uh, coming across a particular psychological study and a and a book so talk a bit about why you decided that uh, this story of intimate friendship was the one you wanted to share with the world yeah it's true that i think you know i there was this starting point for me i was putting a word on paper uh, called, uh, and and the word was masculinity. Because mm. I knew that I wanted to make something um, about that. I just didn't really know um, in what form. And there was this realization that for the longest time, we had been focusing with the lens, with the camera on the battlefields on men fighting with each other and not so much on i guess men holding on to each other um 
And so there was this realization and um, there was a friend of mine who recommended me a book called Deep Secrets, which is um, an American studies done by a psychologist called Niobe Way. And she interviewed 150 boys and she followed them. She stayed in their lives for the course over the course of five years. And at the age of 13, she asks them to talk about their male friendships. And at that age, you know, they talk about each other in the most loving, tender way. Mm. They say they would go crazy without each other. Um, and there's an enormous beauty to it um, that's incredibly tender. But as these boys grow older, as they go through puberty, and as this woman asks them the same questions again, we just witness how these boys distance themselves from that language of the hearts and how they actually start to become much more performative and 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 stop to to dare to express that love. And so I think I I mean I strongly deeply connected to these boys because there was also that moment in time and the same moment in time when I started to fear intimacy within my friendships I started to push away and be pushed away and I think for the longest time I had the feeling that I was the only one going through that experience because when we're young we so often think like that sure but what these boys showed me what they gave me is the sense of collectiveness the sense of connectedness actually because i realized that through them that we live in the society that learns men from early on that authentic connection is not something valued within their vocabulary, within their worlds. We learn them that being a man is about independence, competitiveness, that this society validates everything which is hard and smothers the things that are soft. But I realized that what I had always seen as or what I tried to hide, like all these other young men, this, this emotion, and I had seen it as a weakness for the longest time, that it was actually, you know, my, my superpower. And so I wanted to make a film about, on the one hand, the be a beautiful, beautiful and tender loving friendship that we so rarely get to see on a screen, but also show what happens when this society, this world murders that beautiful friendship. Yeah. And I really like what you had to say about it being a superpower because we don't think of vulnerability in that way. But when you're at an impressionable age during that time, you're still craving some sort of connection, whether it's physical or not, you know, and young men struggle with expressing emotion and fragility because like you said, they're almost raised to think it will make them look weaker, which is really unfortunate. And I'm glad that you're film doesn't sort of reinforce any sort of masculine stereotypes. In fact, the two boys meet on the flower field and it's kind of this beautiful and tender 
uh, relationship we get to bear witness to. T- talk about how you discovered these these young actors and how they were able to just establish this strong sense of sensual friendship between the two of them. Yeah, I love that you used the word sensual because it is it is and it was an important word for us. Um, well, you know, I think for the longest time we we were riding, and I think that was safe because we didn't confront ourselves with the fact that we would have to find two 13-year-olds who could actually play these parts. I think we we avoided thinking about that for a while. But then as the moment approached and as we realized that we would have to find two boys, maybe in the beginning I was like, ooh, this is going to be a challenge. But then it also really excited me because, um, because we had this possibility of finding new talents, you know? Mm. And... Um, we, I went to scout in all the schools in and around Brussels to find, you know, young talents and met many uh, young people that way. But something very particular happens. Um, as I was taking a train from Antwerp to Ghent, um, I was listening to music. Max Richter, so everything becomes a little bit of cinema when you listen oh, to him. Oh, he's one of my favorites, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I look next to me, and I see this young man um, be very expressive, show it, just talking to his friends, being really like, yeah, I, I, I don't hear what he says, but I see his expression. And, um, and I thought, wow, this is something, someone really special. Um, and, and I also thought I'm going to regret if I don't go up to him and ask him if he wants to do a casting for cinema, which he did. Mm. And, um, you know, our casting process was quite elaborate in the sense that um, with young people, I feel like seeing them only for 20 minutes is something that doesn't really work. I feel you need to see them for a longer moment in time. And so we organized full days in which we did workshops with these boys. Uh, and we would always invite them in groups of 20. And in one of these groups, Aiden and Gustav came together. They had never met each other before. They had never acted before. But there was this chemistry between them from the that was like immediate. Like there was something between them that that's just only explainable because it's him, because it's the other. This, you know, this chemistry that you cannot fake. And um they kept on surprising us um and you know we rehearsed with them for six months really trying to build intimacy confidence and family and i think they yeah they i think they really give these beautiful performances in this film oh absolutely and very relatable and i think your approach and point of view is often very observational too and it's kind of building around all these feelings. How do you make decisions as to which shots will convey a specific feeling for the audience to engage with? Because I know there's long shots, there's medium shots. I mean, there's all a variety. And I'm just curious, like, how do you make those decisions, you know, when you're uh, working with your cinematographer? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a piece from the heart for the heart. And so I don't, and I, and so I really try to give that as a, a space mm. in this film. Um, I also have to say that I'm someone who didn't want to be a filmmaker at first. I wanted to be a dancer. 
Um, I never followed that journey, uh, but I did, you know, that I did become a filmmaker and that passion, that desire for dance stayed with me. So when I write, I very much write movement. I write looks. I write, I very much write like a choreographer. Hmm. So when I, when I work with the cinematographer on the script, which is very much based on movement and tonality and choreography, we first look at why there are these intentions of the body. The power of the look also, because there's a lot of looks and the way that we look at the world and the way the world looks at us takes a very prominent place in this piece. Um, and so then we look at a lot of painters. We look at a lot of paintings like Henry Scott Hugh, Hockney, Bacon. And we're inspired by the use of color, by the use of light. And we will start to talk scene by scene what we wanted to convey and how we wanted to how we wanted to feel maybe more than what we wanted to mean. Uh, the meaning I feel is is worked in the script and is worked on all the layers that are that are underneath. For example, there's the metaphor of the flowers. There's the metaphor of the hockey. And of course, in the beginning, sure. I I will translate all that. But then it's what what do we want to see? How do we want the scene to come across? How how do we want to feel? And I think this is a piece that is very much about the internal mechanisms, about implosion rather than explosion. And so I invite, we invite the camera often to get very close to the character in order to make you feel like you can look into them, like you, you are as much with them as you are looking at them. Um, and and that is a work of contrast. That is a work of, you know, fast running in between flowers to a shot of two boys laying as close as possible together in a bed. And, you know, this, this stillness of that. And so I feel like it's about finding contrast and finding images that have meaning. I, I immediately, when I say that, have to think of this long zoom out shot uh, after 15 minutes of the film, 15 minutes where you have been in their bubble, constantly close to them. And then all of a sudden, as they arrive on that playground, you know, that that first place where we get confronted with society and all its divisions and all its, you know, groups with codes and norms of behavior, the camera zooms out, leaves the two of them and goes and, and, and this lets them disappear in a group, you know. And it's it's that type of movement, it that it's that type of camera that I think is really translating something that should be felt. Yes, exactly. I felt that way about that shot in particular as well. And I feel the whole story is presented with such delicacy and in a very candid and balanced manner. But yeah, the contrast you mentioned is also there. What do you hope when when what the audience walks out with? What do you hope that they, they feel after they see this story play out? Well, I think it's a film that that confronts us with with regret. You know, a regret is a feeling that we have all felt so so strongly that often we carry with us through life. You know, as we as we move through life, and so I feel like it's a sort of confrontation with 
the wounds that we maybe carry with us from childhood or from being young. Um, and I do strongly believe in the sense of collective catharsis. I'm not Greek, but I believe I'm, I feel Greek uh, in the sense that I, I believe in the same way and in, in the power of catharsis. And then I also feel like it's an, an ode to the power, but also to the fragility of our connections. I think we live in a world that then that often separates us. And I feel like it is a sort of ode to to the connections in our life. I couldn't agree more. And congratulations on the film, Lucas. I really hope it leads to even more success in the future. And I'm really looking forward to what comes next for you. Thank you so much for your time and this film. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. I'm Bill Ackerman, a guest co-host on this episode. And coming up next is an interview I did with the writer-director Mia Hansen-Love, one of my favorite filmmakers working today. So um, this was a pretty exciting opportunity for me. Uh, we spoke about her most recent film, One Fine Morning, which is being distributed in the U.S. by Sony Pictures Classics. Uh, it's opening in New York and Los Angeles on January 27th and then expanding into other cities. And this is Mia Hansen-Love's eighth feature. Uh, it's a return to the Parisian settings of uh, her earlier films like Goodbye for love and things to come and it stars Leah Sadu as a widowed single mother who's raising a daughter while working as a translator uh, and it's a story about two developments happening in her life uh, told more or less in parallel uh, it's about her experience caring for her father played by Pascal Gregory uh, who has a, uh, a degenerative disease he's rapidly losing his sight and his memories uh, he's growing increasingly helpless and frightened uh, and it's also about a romance that develops with an old friend uh, played by Melville Poupeau 2022 saw the release of many fiction films that drew upon the autobiographies of their writer-directors for inspiration, uh, whether it's Steven Spielberg and The Fablemans, uh, Elegance Bratton's The Inspection, James Gray's Armageddon Time, Richard Linklater's Apollo 10 and a Half, uh, even uh, Charlotte Wells's Aftersun. And Mia Hansen-Loeb has always acknowledged the real-life uh, inspirations for her stories, whether it's an uncle in the case of All is Forgiven, uh, her late mentor, uh, the producer Humbert Balsan, uh, with Father of My Children, uh, her brother. Sven Hansenlove and Eden, uh, her uh, mother in Things to Come. Of course, Goodbye First Love and Bergman Island draw elements from her own life, and that's also the case with One Fine Morning. In dealing with a story centering in part on her own father, uh, she filmed in hospitals where he had stayed, uh, stocked the shelves of Pascal Gregory's character's uh, library with her father's own books. Uh, it even included some of her father's poignant original writing, uh, where he articulates his own experience with the disease. Uh, but this isn't a film like uh, you know, Michael Haneke's Amour or uh, Gaspar Noé's recent film Vortex. Uh, it isn't unrelentingly somber or austere. Uh, this is a film with warmth to it. It has humor and uh, some recurring jokes that I won't spoil. Uh, it has sex scenes that are cheerfully lusty. Uh, the characters aren't always perfect people, but like a lot of me, Hanson Loves films, there aren't really you know, villains in the story. 
Um, now, if you're a listener to a show like Directors Club, um, you know, you're encouraged to look for connections within a filmmaker's body of work, uh, recurring themes, recurring imagery. And uh, if you're familiar with any of Love's earlier films, all of which uh, Gianna D'Amelio and I uh, discussed uh, in depth on episode 204 of this show, uh, One Fine Morning fits comfortably alongside uh, the very best of her uh, deeply personal cinematic work. So I'd, I definitely encourage you to check it out. Uh, special thanks to Jessica Hazan at uh, Hook Publicity for setting this up. And uh, here's my talk with Mia Hansen Love. Mia, welcome to the show. I am a huge fan of what you do, and uh, I will uh, have a few questions for you. Um, One Fine Morning follows two films of yours that were more transnational, uh, Maya and Bergman Island. Um, You're working in different countries using English dialogue. One Fine Morning is a return to Paris. And, uh, you know, you had said that this was a story that uh, you didn't necessarily want to tell it, but you needed to tell it, and that you couldn't wait too long to tell it. I was wondering, could you tell me what it felt like to return to Paris uh, as a location and why there was such urgency to tell this story now? Well, how it felt, um, I would love to say that it felt great to be back home. (laughs) But actually, to be honest, (laughs) um, even though I I was happy to be able to film in my hometown and, um, you know, not be away for so long, having two kids, you know, for that reason, especially I was, uh, it was a relief for me to have been inspired to write a film that took place close to my home or at least, yeah, in my town. But on the other hand, um, when I was filming uh, One Fine Morning, we were still in the middle of this awful covid time and most of the film or at least a lot of scenes in the film were taking place in the hospitals so i have to say that the contrast between the memory of the magical foray of bergman island that, that island that i filmed that's deserved and peaceful place and uh, you know the disease and the tension that you meet you I mean that you experience when you shoot in Paris especially uh, in in this time you know the contrast was pretty strong so I uh, it was fine and I had to do it anyway so regrets it's just it was like as it was but I, I I would lie if I would say that it was just like so nice to be to be back in in Paris it was like okay back to reality you know and uh, why I did it? Well, I um, I made this experience of seeing my father disappearing in a disease uh, that was consuming, uh, consuming, mm-hmm. um, destroying, you know, uh, both his physical and intellectual capacities. This was a very painful process, and. Um, 
at some point I realized that I wasn't able um, to move on, write something until I was going to, I, I, I had to face this experience. Um, I didn't know how to write anything else without trying to make something out of this experience. And it wasn't the only thing, actually, because there was also an experience of happiness and the two happening at the same time and how interesting that was and how special it was to be um, going through grief and um, love at the same time, sadness and, and happiness and joy, you know. And I was interested in trying to capture in a cine- cinematographic form that moment. But again, just as you said, it was more um, uh, a necessity than a choice. Okay. Well, I know that, you know, all, I think all of your films pretty much draw inspiration from your personal life, whether or not you would say that they're literally autobiographical. And this story, you know, it's two parallel situations that the character is dealing with both the caring for her father, but also uh, this new romance that's uh, kind of uh, coming up with an old friend. When you set out to write a film like this, are both of those pieces already in place? Or do you do you start with one place and then combine the two elements? And do you write purely from your own memory? Or do you discuss the past with friends or family that might have remembered this time of your life that uh, that you're drawing from? Uh, it's it's very I think it's a very interesting question. Thank you for asking this. I mean, um, about if I discuss it with friends, uh, discuss my memories. Actually, yes. Uh, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say with friends, but I, I certainly discuss um, the kind of memories that were involved in that story. I discuss them with my mother a lot, <laughs> and especially since, you know, there were there, there was a lot um, in the film that had to do with the, the tough experience of the hospitals. You know, the, um, when you see I, I, I saw my father going from one place to another and, and we struggled to find the right place for him and. But this experience was so emotional that I I, um, I had forgotten a lot of the you know practical thing and I would uh, I think I, I I I'm sure I I, I did uh, ask a lot about it to my mother who would uh, who probably remembered uh, you know the concrete uh, things better than I uh, than I do no but uh, I think the two things I mean the romance and. Um, uh, the, the question of the relationship to a sick father, they were they were together, they worked together from the very start. It was never the one thing like the, the father and daughter story and then something more and then that the romance would, you know, um, come later. No, actually, I think the moment where I had the idea for the film, if you can really, I don't know if you can really define a moment because it's a probably long uh, unconscious process, but sometimes there is a moment where you become aware, you know, of, of the existence of a possible film. And, and for, at least for me, there is usually like a specific moment where there is an image or a scene um, that that um, that that is like um, 
gives me the impulse, you know, to write, to start yeah. writing a film. And I think in the case of that film, um, it, it really started with, with the last scene of the film. It's a scene where I don't want to spoil the film, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure it's going to spoil anything, but it's, it's a scene where it all comes together, you know, the romance and the grief, and and uh, it's a scene that is both uh, both uh, sad and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the only and 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 it's a scene where the main character visits her father, and and uh, she gets very um, uh, emotional. But uh, but then she she walks out, and and it's it's in the summer, and 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 ultimately it's also a scene about happiness. And uh, I actually made an experience that was very close to that scene in that same hospital where I filmed later in the same exact same place. And I think for me, writing the film was a way of kind of unfolding all the emotions that were contained, you know, in that yeah. afternoon that I went through. Um, there were there, there was a lot of things there for me. And, and I think after that afternoon, uh, in the summer, where where I was there, was I was there with my daughter, and I met. Um, it was maybe one of the last times that I saw my father. But after that, um, I knew there was a, a film that I wanted to do, and actually, writing the film would be like finding the right path to that moment. Mm. Yeah, what's interesting, you mentioned the hospital location because I have a real big interest in visiting old film locations. And I always love hearing you talk about how locations can inspire your films. You know, the idea, I think you tackle it pretty much directly in Bergman Island. But I think that with One Fine Morning, I know that, you, like you had mentioned, the hospitals that uh, that your father had stayed in were a location. When you're writing a film that draws from your own memories, and I'm thinking of also things like Goodbye First Love or Eden, do you revisit the places from your past to soak up? the inspiration when you're writing or is it just someplace that maybe you'll shoot there if it's possible? Locations play such an important role for my inspiration, actually. Sometimes it's almost... um giving me the impulse or uh, it's 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 at the very start of, of, of a project of a film. Um uh, are inspiring where I have a past in this in those places uh, uh, when I for some reasons when I love those places when sometimes there are places I've not been to but I feel attracted to or sometimes there are places I've known forever and I want to go back there maybe for the last time mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think it's the reason why I could never film uh, should have film in a studio because um, I'm inspired by how the light um, evolves in a place like where it comes from where how, you know whether it be a, a house or an open space but the question of light of natural light is so uh, important uh, in my relationship to those places that I, I, I could never imagine filming in the studio but the second reason is because I love places that have a history and uh, when I decided to go to Foreau to write that film uh, Bergman Island um, I went there to write even even before really knowing what the film was going to be about I mean I had an idea it was going to be yeah there would be a couple of directors Bergman inspiration and I had some themes that I knew the film was going to be about but really the storyline was not the first thing. The first thing was the location. And in the case of One Fine Morning, I wouldn't say it's the same because there were some feelings, of course, involved from the start. Well, in Bergman Island too, actually, everything is so organically mixed, you know. But so there were feelings. There was there was love for a father, love for a man, and uh, but the the rhythm was given to me at first by the idea of um, this character. Uh, who would move from one place to another 
from her home to her uh, the place where she works, but also from her home to the different hospitals uh, where her father would go to. And then, yes, I love mentioning the names of the places in my film. It's something I was always very sensitive to. I'm sensitive to it also as a reader of books uh, or a view, a spectator of cinema, you know. And it's one of the films I enjoyed about Romer, for instance, in, is the way Eric Romer, the way he used to film places and, and also use their names as a... Uh, give it use the 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 poetry of the names of the, the geography you know you know use yeah. the geography as a uh, as a uh, something poetic you know how you film the city how you film a district and how you tell you tell the viewers where you are and it's something i really love and in general i like the films to be very specific i always <laughs> believe that you could be the more specific you were, the more universal you could be. Whereas so, so many people think the opposite. You know, so many people think you should not know where you are, who they are. It should be very timeless. And I I, I, I believe the opposite. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, um, I think when I think about your characters, I think vocation is always such an important part of their stories. And many of your happiest characters are the ones that can express something of themselves through their work, uh, whether it's architecture or music or filmmaking, uh, even war reporting, maybe. But like I'm thinking about Sandra in this film and how uh, she's a translator and she uses her abilities to help others express themselves, even their old memories. I'm thinking of the war veterans at the beginning. Like it feels like an extension of her sacrificing of herself, her time for other people. And I, I've seen you with translators at film festivals. I know that you you've come across a few in your life, but I mean, what was it that inspired you to make this character that um, is at the center of the story a translator? Was that something that you had thought of for a long time as a, as just an idea? I think just as you exactly as you just said, it's it felt like an extension of the rest of her, like who she is and the rest of her life. She's very she restrained. She helps other people. Um, especially her father. I mean, she helps her father find his word. He's losing the language. He cannot really express himself anymore. And she helps him a lot to, to, she helps him. I mean, she tries to help him uh, how she can, you know, uh, to find the words. She spends a lot of time with her daughter and even in her passionate relationship she's also at first at least for a long time she's very discreet in a way she's she she embraces that story and that romance but she 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 doesn't express a lot like what she thinks she's very like she's shy you could say in a way hmm. and to me translate you know the translator is the interpreter he's like he's in he's in this dark room people don't see him uses words uh, to understand better the words of others but they, they don't they are kind of transparent and i and uh, i think it's it worked well with the idea that i had for that, that character who was a very discreet restrained and shy um woman but who will rediscover herself and find a real place um for happiness in her life uh, in that love story that will happen to her 
And that's the whole process of the film. But at first, she's very discreet, yes. And I was interested in, in filming Lea Seydoux in such a character, which is so unusual yeah. uh, for her. And the last reason about uh, why I made her into a translator, just as you said, all my characters have uh, vocations in my film. I can't help always choosing uh, jobs for them that are more than jobs, that are jobs that actually they have a real love for. And I, I'm sure it has to do with the fact that my films are so personal and, and, and as a director, I'm also very passionate about filmmaking. And because of that, I yeah. always want my characters to also have their own. Uh, it's very difficult actually for me to not let them have a, a vocation, even though I would actually love to be able one day to make a film where, you know, somebody would just have a very not interesting and boring job. <laughs> uh, but I, for, uh, so far, I always wanted them to have a job that I would all also want to do. And my father has been a translator. And, and so I was always interested in that, in translating. I, I find it uh, very beautiful the, this idea of translating and so that's also one more reason of course i was curious I, I always love the use of music in your films and some of the most heartbreaking moments in one fine morning involve uh music triggering memories or emotions that are too painful for the characters when you write do you write to music do you know that say the music from jan johansson or even robin williamson in bergman island do you know that the music that sets the mood do you already have that at the writing stage or is that something that you that you find more as the film has already been shot and you're you're playing around with it how how soon does the music part of your films come into the picture most of it of the time it's there it's there from the start actually yes there is not so much music in my films like because i don't work with film um, music composers mm -hmm. i've never had and made eight films and i never had a composer write music for the film i, I was always using existent songs. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same reason why I told you I love locations that have a story. I love songs that have a story that is another story. That I love songs that have their own past and their own life. Mm -hmm. And I like to put that in my film, you know, and and uh, and and have, have something else connect with my own world. But yes, most of, most of the time when I write, I already have in mind, uh, if not all the songs of the film, uh, uh, the most important one. And it helps me Finding the mood, finding the it's like it's just like you, you know when you find a title, for instance, when mm -hmm. it's I, I I love to have the title from the start, you know, of a film because it gives you direction too, mm -hmm. um, and it's the same for me with the music, you know. Uh, I think you don't write uh, a, a, a scene uh, the same way if you know that it's going to be Schubert uh, played in the scene, or if it's going to be uh, Mozart, or if it's going if it's going to be uh, rock and roll, you know, it's not the same. Uh, thing at all so knowing uh knowing what's gonna be there and uh how much and the music affects me a lot so it actually influences my writing a lot i guess so yeah yeah i do know the music in advance okay now as, as a viewer myself i i do enjoy uh melodrama like i love douglas sirk and pedro Modovar and things that are very manipulative um, when I think about your films, I think that you're dealing with subject matter that I could associate with melodrama, like addiction or suicide or romantic anguish, loss of a loved one. But the way that you handle this kind of material, it's always you're always quick to 
temper the darkness with either humor or whimsy or some kind of thing that keeps it from being too negative or too heavy. I'm thinking of Gregoire's daughters and father of my children playing in his office with the phone, or I'm thinking of uh, Natalie breaking into laughter when she sees her husband and she's been weeping and, and she breaks into laughter. Or even in Eden, when things are going bad for Paul, we still feel the joy of the music that it's bringing to other people. Like it's not all bad, even when things are heavy. And I know that one fine morning is the same way in that you are kind of juggling these tones between something that's very heavy and something that's very kind of warm and light. Is that yeah. is that a tricky balance for you as far as juggling the tones that it never feels like tonally weird to me how you can keep it from being um, like when humor or lightness is introduced, it never feels wrong. It always feels like this is just how the world is. And I know that that's part of your philosophy that you can kind of talk about it in Bergman Island a little bit, like it's not all darkness, but is that a hard thing for you to pull off? Um, yeah, well, I, I think uh, it, it really results of my experience of, of life. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, we do laugh even on funerals, you know, it's, yeah. and it, it, it helps. Um, I'm not trying to be optimistic. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, I'm, but I'm trying to make films that really reflect um, that is the films which are truthful uh, to my experience of life or to, to my, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say to my vision of life, but at least to my experience, how I see it. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I think what, what helps us cope with the difficulties and the tragedies of life and the cruelty of life is the fact that life keeps moving on and that it's, it's always a movement. And, and thanks to that, it never stops on the uh, tragic, uh, you know, on the, on, on, the, on the tragic moment. There is always more after something else after that. Mm. And, and, uh, and, and sometimes you, you, it makes it actually us angry when we are very, very sad. And, and, uh, and uh, we, we would almost like to stay with our sadness forever. But we have to accept that, you know, life continues. I remember when... Um, the producer of my first feature, Amber Balzan, uh, committed suicide, and that inspired me. My second feature, Father of My Children. But I remember when he died, um, I was in shock for some days. And uh, at the time, I was writing for Les Cahiers du Cinéma a bit, but I had I struggled to write. But I remember the chief redacteur of the paper uh, asked me to write uh, something about a film and I said are you crazy I can't write I, I, I'm so sad I can't do anything and he he, 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 he became very uh, uh, authoritarian you know authoritarian and he said uh, I don't care you have to write and you just do it you, I give you two days and in two days you have to write this and he also loved actually Amber Balzan and had known him but and actually and it made me very angry at the time that he forced me to work, you know, when I just wanted to sit and cry. And I realized later that it had really helped me that I had to, you know, sit and, and I focus on something else. And I think my film reflects that in a way that uh, even though we would want to be sad forever in some times, because, we, because it's a way of remembering the people we lose, you know, to mm. stay with our sadness. We, there is a cruelty about life that is actually something beautiful. And, and that is that we have to accept to live on and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and make other ex- experiences and, 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 and have other joys, you know. And I think my, my films just try to reflect that. Yeah. Well, 
You made a great film. I, I love all of your films. And so I, I thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm getting the uh, the sign that I have to let you go. But thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank to me today. Thank you so much. I hope my English will be okay for you. Oh, it's it's great. No, it's better than my French. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you.